hundred percent. You can't. One of the one of the things when other coaches would come over to China, one of the things I would caution them about. I'd say, hey, we're about to put you with, you know, men's junior badminton. You're about to walk into their weight room, and and the first thing you're going to do is observe their weight training session as it is. You're about to like write a million notes about how horrendous it is and how many terrible things they're doing. You need to pump the brakes, like, and you need to be asking yourself what of these things, what 70% could I keep and, and just add a little bit, a little bit of something. And, and you know, the way you guys do that, I, I like that exercise. Let me just tweak it a little bit so that you guys don't look so horrible. I could never post a video of it. All right. Yeah. So, so I'll just, just make these little tweaks. Welcome to the prepare like a pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6 p.m. where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favorite podcast app. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Rhett Larson. Our key topic for today's chat will be high performance games, fun and preparation combined. So for all those working in high performance sport or even for the athletes that want to add more fun to their environment, make sure to st stick around. We'll be spending a lot of time around that as well as Rhett's career in high performance sport. But thank you for jumping on, Rhett. Look, really looking forward to our chat, which which should be a, a unique one. I don't think we've we've talked about this yet on the show, so really looking forward to it, mate. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Yeah, I hope that underneath, like, you need to change my caption to "fun pro." That's fun pro. Where, yeah, I like yeah, that. Right. Finally, those two. Yeah, together at last, fun and professional. Love that. Yeah, it it they go hand in hand, but one can either get you know, mixed up with the other at times, I, I can imagine. Like you think if you're having too much fun, you're not serious enough. And if you're being too pro, you're probably not having enough fun. But yeah, I like the fact that you combine the two. But yeah, it's yeah. definitely, you know, I don't know how it happened, but I, I've carved out a niche for myself where now it's kind of expected of me. You know, I... I, I the standards are set. Every, every now and then it gets easier to implement kind of training the, the way I like to do it because everyone now comes to expect it. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, like being an SSC myself at times, it can, some of the things that we try and do with the athletes can be quite dry and, you know, consistency is so important. But to be able to do what you need to do from a physical preparation point of view and for the athletes to be engaged and enjoy it, yeah, it must be something that we can all take from. Yeah, I, I guess before we get into the nitty gritty of it all, mate, take, give us a background for those that aren't aware. Already people have reached out when, when I sent the uh, schedule to the socials. People are very familiar with your work. And this topic, you, you, like you mentioned, you've, you've carved out a niche for yourself. But for those that aren't aware, yeah, give us a, a background, mate. Yeah, I, I'm an American. I've worked in America in strength and conditioning for about, about 15 years, specializing actually in younger athletes. And from like eight years old until 18, that was my bread and butter with the company that I, that I started with. And I, you know, at, at some point got a really unique opportunity to go and work for a company called Exos and go over to China to lead a team of coaches and physios that would be working to prepare China's kind of gold medal factories, some of their most elite teams for the London Games in 2012. And so I uh, went over, did that, thought it was just going to be a 10-month stint, and, you know, I, I got to crave that adventure. I got to crave kind of the expat lifestyle. And I said, I'd do it for another year to do a stint down in just in Shanghai, preparing the Shanghai athletes for the, for the China games. And then that went really well. And, and they, I said, I'll do it one more year, one more year. And you know, seven years later, I, I finally decided that I'd take a break from China. I went and I, at that point I'd specialized in women's volleyball for the last, like for three years. And I, I decided to go take a summer and work with a friend of mine who was going to be the new head coach of the Dutch team. So I went to the Netherlands for two years and yeah, just fell in love with working in Europe. And you know, long story short, now I'm the strength and conditioning coach for the German national women's volleyball team. And yeah, I'm, yeah I've just kind of stumbled into being a, a women's volleyball guy for the last six or seven years. And yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but uh, you know, what country I'll be living in. But yeah, I'm, I'm loving the ride. Yeah, it's taking you to some great places around the world already and some highly successful programs. That's 
That's awesome, man. And the aspect of working in Olympic sports and then team-based sports, like you mentioned, you're not sure you know, what the future lies, but how much have you sort of carved out your career in terms of different sports that you want to expose yourself? How much was it more organic that, you know, the head coach that you mentioned you, you knew, that you know, the people that you, you're going to work with, that you select these jobs or, or is it something that, yeah, it has been quite structured that you want to expose yourself to different environments? Zero structure, Jack. Zero. I would never go with the flight. Three years ago, <laughs> working in Germany. Now, I never would have guessed that, that would have gone to China. Love like, that. I. It's. I don't know. Woody Allen said it that you know. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, and that's that's my life. So yeah, I. It. I. You know, I'm so comfortable. I've spent a lot of brain power with women's volleyball, and I really, really love. And, and it's been great going from China to the Netherlands, now to Germany. I really love that fun honeymoon period you get with athletes where they will just do anything you ask. And if you, and you, you're figuring people out, you're solving the individual puzzles of what maybe the biggest handbrake to an athlete is. You get these fun breakthroughs every once in a while. I'm addicted to that. So, but right now I'm having a really good time. Yeah, I, I midway through my German stint between my first and second year, the head coach switched. So I also got the challenge of having to figure out a new head coach and he's my new head coach. It's a big personality and uh, he and I work real well together, but that's just been another challenge. So as I, you know, all I know is that I, I keep liking the stimulus. I keep, I love to grow. And, you know, if that's staying in volleyball, but, you know, trying different countries, which it seems like it's you know, been for a while, that's, that's a unique challenge. Going from a powerhouse to an underdog provides another challenge, but you know, I'm, I used to bring on some kind of work in yeah. every sport. And it's only been these last six years that I've gotten to really focus on one. I'm having a great time, but who knows what will happen next? Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's, it seems to be a common theme as well for those that have reached the pinnacle in elite sport that, yeah. And no matter what the, the uh, top sport they're working in, it, it wasn't the plan. It sort of found them through hard work and, and doing good, you know, good work and, and let the, the journey sort of take you along for the ride, which is good for those studying as well, probably not to set rigid plans, but to just let the good work take care of itself. Yeah, I will say that. Yeah, yeah, I will say that that I think the one thing I can guarantee that I'll always be working abroad. That I've gotten some really cool opportunities to come back to the U.S. They've slid across my my plate, and just nothing sounds as good to me as. And I'm always giving this piece of advice to young coaches: like, be real open to getting out of your country. You know, there's. There's, there's good money to be made for one. If you go some places, you know, it, whenever you go out of your country, there's a better chance that somebody's going to pay for all your food and housing. So you get to net all the money they pay you. So there's, there's financial advantages to it along with all just the cultural. And if you're a storyteller, which I think a lot of coaches are, it, it's a great way to accumulate some crazy stories and adventures and hijinks. But yeah, yeah, some gems, gems there for. For coaches to yeah. hang in, absolutely. And, and then what about influencers or mentors, if you like, along the way that have helped shape your philosophy? Mm. I, I've been lucky. I got real lucky early on. I My first job, once I decided to be a strength and conditioning coach, which was later in life, I, I decided when I was in my late 20s to, to go into this. And I got lucky because I joined a sports performance franchise, the same one that I told you, that primarily worked with 8 to 18-year-olds when it was only one or two centers down in Georgia and just, and I was in Georgia just because I was dating a girl from Georgia and I needed to get a job for the summer. And I go to this place and it's called Velocity Sports Performance. And that summer, those three centers franchise out across the nation into, it was like 80 centers a year later. And it became the leading sports performance training network in the United States. And I had had a chance to train under the founder who is a just a first ballot Hall of Fame speed coach who has trained Olympic sprinters and jumpers all over the world named Lauren Seagrape. And I've just, you know, I've just by dumb luck, I've gotten to learn how to teach athletes to run faster and jump higher from one of the best of all time. And and then it becomes, oh, well, where do you, where would you like to work across the country? And so I choose to go out to California. And I, I get into a Velocity Sports Performance franchise out there. And by another sheer amount of dumb luck, the coaches we had out there were incredible. And it became this, and even though it was a very regimented program, you know, when you went out to train a group, it was small group training, six athletes. And when you went out to go train 
you know, six, 12 to 15 year olds, you had a sheet of paper and you had all the exercises were listed, but I'm looking at the other, you know, it became a competition between all of us young kind of coaches who could be the most popular coach at, at our velocity franchise. Like who is going to be the one that the kids are call having their parents call in that day to say, Hey, who's coaching the six thirty group, right? You wanted, you know, people, you wanted to hear the receptionist say, no, 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 coach, coach reds at, at seven. No, I'm sorry. That group's full. Like you, you yeah, need it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I heard it when it happened to the other coaches and pissed me off, but, and it became, and maybe this is kind of the fundamentals of where, you know, where my life is now, the way that I program now, but you know, within the structure of a sheet, like how can I create fun? Like, how can I make this engaging? How can I make these athletes just be dying to come back and dying to be in my group? Like, how can I take this dry jumping jacks, you know, series that we've been doing over and over again, because eh, by franchise rules, we have to stick to this. Like, what if I'm throwing tennis balls at people randomly and they have to catch it while they're doing these jumping jacks? Like, or I'm watching my, my other head coach across the turf and he's doing that. I'm like, you son of a bitch. God, that looks fun. Oh, and now my wheels are turning. And it, I was that, 10 years of that, of kind of having to you know, you eat what you kill kind of out there. You know, our center was always trying to be the top center in the nation and we were trying to outperform everybody. And we just, we wanted to be the most fun center in the network. And I wanted to be the most fun coach in the most fun center in the network. So I would say that group of coaches, it's not exactly a mentor, but, but we already had this wonderful backbone of really good speed mechanics and the ability to, to train athletes to be faster, but just kind of that, 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 that motivational part that, you know, we're always really pushing ourselves to, that to be edge. the fun ones. That that was incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah, which is, I like that you sort of mentioned that, that the, the fundamentals of the purpose of your role was done at such a high, you know, world-class standard. And then now it's like, how can we make it better? That's by engaging right. and bringing them along for the ride and giving them a real experience. So obviously as, you know, coaches, developing coaches, I, mad, I imagine you want to get that aspect right first in terms of your basics and then what we're there to do but then when you can take it to another level in terms of engagement and bring them along for the journey you you have to learn all those rules before you can break them a little bit right you yeah, have yeah, to, yeah. you couldn't take oh gosh if i'm thinking of that example you couldn't take the jumping jacks and take the legs out of it right like you couldn't because <laughs> then you're not getting the thermogenic part of the jumping jacks which is really what you need out of the stupid jumping jacks but yeah. you could change the arms into something that's a little bit different in a different plane you know to mix the athletes up so they're falling over themselves, but cracking up laughing, but still sweating, you know, and one of them takes a tennis ball to the face when they're not looking like all of that is, is legit and is okay yeah. within the program because you're still accomplishing the main task of keeping them, of getting them warm, but they're also, they're also laughing their asses off. And so yeah. that's, that's just ticking an extra box. And take us back to that. You mentioned there was a structure that was starting to be created when you're, you're creating these sessions. Is that visual? Are you sort of, you know, pen and paper out, writing things down? Yeah, take us through that process, I guess, the night before. A, a, yeah, well, as a franchise, it was it was legit. Like, we had a library of workouts, and you you looked at your menu. You looked at your six athletes that were coming in, and you said, okay, I have, I have two that have been here for 18 sessions, two that have been here for 12, and one that's on their first. I need to pick something in this range of the library. And today is a maximum velocity day. So it has to be in this library book and you would pull a workout. So you like, you still had to work that sheet. And, you know, we definitely pushed the limits on what we could get away with, you know, but that's kind of where the fun was. And, and, yeah. and success made our owner not so upset when we would, when we would go a little bit too far, maybe. And we were a hundred percent. Everyone wants to be fully booked. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of these things and, and this is a, I think a really overlooked part of what we do, and especially when you get to the Olympic level where I don't have to, you know, it's not like they're paying me every month. You know, it's not like these athletes are, you know, are, are my clients that would choose to not come for to a strength workout. They have to come to a strength workout. But mm. I think compliance is something like just getting athletes wanting to come back. This is something that if you've ever heard of John Berardi. He is, he's the founder of a of precision nutrition here in the United States, which is like one of the best nutritional certifications you can get. And Berardi, you know, said, just stop asking me about like what supplements would be best for your client, whatever. Just like the best workout in the world that nobody wants to do is useless. 
You know, like a shitty workout that is super fun and is engaging and gets people dying to come back is better than that best workout. And stop taking yourself so seriously and start making your workout something that people are compliant with and want to do over and over again and tell their friends about. Which is, yeah, so refreshing to hear that even at the top level where you are preparing for something that's so big in the Olympics, that fun aspect and that engagement is still so important, let alone, yeah, like with those learning the sport and developing as well, where retention is starting to get lower and lower. I imagine each decade of kids being active, so. Both very, very important. What about highlights? When you look back, anything that spring front of mind that you're proud of? I mean, back in the day when I, when, when my... I guess when most of my experiences with the young kids, like it was, it was with some of those kids that you would get when, you know, when they were like nine, there was a kid named Mike Walker that we started training when he was eight or nine. And he ended up, you know, making his big time football team as a freshman. He ended up setting all his school records in the clean. He's, he ends up going back to school. He goes, he goes to college to be a strength and conditioning coach. He, he's still trying to make the Olympic team in weightlifting. Like, that was like the thing that I would tell every, you know, being with pride and, you know, send him messages every time he posted a new PR video on Facebook. But, you know, then you go to China and you get to work with you know, the best athletes you've ever seen and we have best in class and, in you know, for the London Olympics, you get, yeah, I worked with diving and, and uh, gymnastics and shooting and, you know, some of these gold medal factories and you get to meet these multi-time gold medalists and, and that becomes like a, a different kind of highlight, but but especially before the London Olympics, that was a lot of individual sports because that is where China makes all of their Olympic medals. Like they only care about individual sports because they can get the most medals that way. You know, if you put a million bucks into the shooting team, you can get you know seven, you can get like twelve gold medals out of it. If you put a million bucks into the women's basketball team, you could at best get one medal, right? So yeah. it doesn't making financial sense for them. So it's all, it was all individual teams. And it wasn't until uh, you know, the 2015 when I got to be with China's most popular team sport, which is women's volleyball, that it was a real new experience for me. I mean, I'd never, I'd never been on a everyday, all-day team. I've always been with London. I sat in the weight room all day and you know, women's table tennis came to me at 9 o'clock in the morning and then at 10.30... The diving team came to me and then at 1.30, rowing came and blah, blah. It wasn't like what happened to me in 2015 when I got hired just by the women's volleyball team and I was just spending 10, 8, 10 months a year with one team, morning, noon, or night. But being part of that team when they won the World Cup in 2015, which was, at the time, China's second ever medal in a team sport, yeah. men or women. And then... Repeating that again at the Olympics, you know, getting a gold medal in Rio, it, I couldn't, you know, bye bye kids. I don't care about them anymore. That's not that's not my best memories. No, uh-uh. there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun stuff. Otherwise, I had a yeah yeah. So so those were just incredible, you know, Disney movie moments that were super super fun. And how did you go about adjusting your coaching style with you know different cultures and 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 bringing that fun and engagement when there's you know language language barriers and these other aspects that not necessarily your degree will, will teach you. Yeah, that's definitely one of the biggest challenges for me in going to China was, of course, giving up language because I couldn't mm-hmm. immediately knew I couldn't stand working with a translator, like just so cumbersome and having that divide that just that little barrier in communication that just I felt like kept me from really getting the relationship. So, you know, I, aside from really studying my ass off on Mandarin, you just, you learn to adapt. And instead of, you know, all of the, like being kind of as witty as I can try to be when I'm with my normal, my English speaking athletes, you know, you learn other ways. You learn, you know, slapsticky physical comedy. You learn like how to, how to make constraints that will accomplish, you know, how to adjust your warm up game so they have constraints that accomplish what, you know, my verbal commands used to accomplish. So, you know, if I needed people to get low, I can't just say get low at at least initially. I, I had to just shoot Nerf bullets over their head and tag them in the forehead until they got their, their head underneath it. Right. So you learn to adapt that way. And, and, and so, you know, I don't know, that's my inclination. That's the way I want to adapt. I'm thinking, how can I make, make this a win-win? Like I don't have to shout at them to get low over and over again. And they get to be smiling because I'm tagging people with Nerf darts over and over again in their in their ear, 
So and that's kind of where the I guess the the beauty of you know that's where the struggle I think resulted in something that worked out for both of us and 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 culturally you know the Chinese are as you'd expect it's a very strict system it's it is you know the strictest te- you know, they have a Chinese maxim that you know, the strictest teachers create the best students and and the women's volleyball team almost every team I've ever been a part of in China was no exception just very dogmatic very you know unsmiling and t- yeah. tough 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 coaches but i i think what became kind of my yin and yang to that is that i would be kind of the fun one and and i'm only you know i realize that i'm allowed to be the fun one as long as i'm also the one who delivers you know you you can't just be the fun zany one if they never break a sweat if their squat numbers don't go up or more specifically if their vertical jump numbers don't go up or their speed doesn't go up or their body weight doesn't come off or body fat doesn't come off like i gotta be able to to put up the numbers but once i show that i'm that i can get things accomplished then i can say okay let me put some of the magic in it let's let's get things accomplished because the girls will work hard for me because i've engineered this that they're actually having a good time or that they are incentivized that i've gamified the system so much that that they refuse to not give 100 percent. yeah and and for a coach going into a new environment was that very much sort of the the process get the operation team the the, co- the tactical coaches on board first and then you can really do what you need to do once you show those results and 100 percent. you can't one of the one of the things when other coaches would come over to china one of the things i would caution them about i'd say hey we're about to put you with you know men's junior badminton you're about to walk into their weight room and and the first thing you're going to do is observe their weight training session as it is you're about to like write a million notes about how horrendous it is and how many terrible things they're doing. You need to pump the brakes. Like, and you need to be asking yourself, what of these things, what 70% could I keep? And and just add a little bit, a little bit of something. And, and you know, the way you guys do that, I, I like that exercise. Let me just tweak it a little bit so that you guys don't look so horrible. I could never post a video of it. All right. Yeah. So, so I'll just, just make these little tweaks. And then as you build street cred, which, you know, there's so many tricks, Jack, like, you're like in my first week with any team, I had I had a weight training session that I know would make everybody's glutes so sore that they couldn't like take a poop the next day, like and that was crucial because it's showing the head coaches like the head coaches would come over to me just giddy. Oh my god, the girls they can't they can't laugh today because they said their abs hurt so badly. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. Oh really? Yeah. See, it sounds like they're just not strong. I guess I could probably help you with, right? Yeah. So it's little things that I can put in there that build my street cred right? That, that, that is getting some sweat equity, some soreness equity. And then from there, but I'm still keeping 70% of their just terrible exercises. But then that number goes next week to 60 and then 50. And then a month later, it is 100% rep programming and everyone like, and no one's, no one's giving me any, any flack. And that's the way that it was every team that I ever worked with in China. Chip away at it. Yep. And get everyone on board. Well, we talked about challenges before with language language barriers, and he talked about yeah, finding. A, would there be other career challenges that you've faced that have been sort of growth moments? And um, if so, what what have you learned from it? Good question. Yeah, there have been. Oh boy. Yeah, there there have been some definite. I mentioned like body fat, like weight is one of those things. Like especially with women's teams, you know, body fat is something, and nutrition, I should say, is something that is is a really dicey subject in some cultures and really open in china it'd be like hey come over here this is fat alice we call her fat alice because she's fat and you're like oh alice are, are you okay she's like yes i've always been fat yes i'm very fat but at least i'm not stupid nancy <laughs> you know like they're just and super blunt blunt <laughs> and and it is something you just tackle head on every girl is writing her weight down after before breakfast every morning and they step on a scale and then you got sorted into a group and I can, I, I have so many great stories about fat shaming that would have gotten me fired in every other country I've worked in, but I could get away with it in China because they just want the blunt honesty as long as it gets results. And we can take measures that, uh, that you couldn't otherwise, but in other countries, you know, in, in the Netherlands is dicey and in Germany it's dicey and you have to do things like, and so it becomes this really big challenge, especially in some of the countries where we didn't have a registered dietitian or a nutritionist on staff, and I have to do that, which is my nightmare, that mm-hmm. I'm doing like super subtle things, like 
like, you know, I do, I would take a scale and I would put it under the assisted jumping rack. So, you know, you have a rack with a pull-up bar that's really, really high in the air and you can loop a big super band through it. And we'd loop it under our armpit so that when we did jumps, it would take away, say, you know, three kilos of our body weight, five kilos of our body weight. And I would have all the athletes kind of measure their, take their weight off of it and then move the scale under it, put the band on, then put the, and then see how much they weighed when I took some of their body weight away with the band that is looped above them on that pull-up bar. Does this make sense so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And then they take the scale away and they're standing on the jump mat and then they do their jumps and I register how high their block vertical jump is when they weighed 10 pounds less or five pounds less, depending on the band I used. And that was the passive aggressive way. Then girls would be like, oh my God, I was flying. Did you see that? I I felt like I was floating in air. I'd be like, ah, I guess that's how you jump every time. If you just weighed five pounds less. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just going to leave it up there. And just leave that right there. We'll just see what happens. Yeah. And so like, but you know, it's, it's having tangling the carrot creative as possible to solve these little problems as they come up. But, but yeah, oh, and let's, those, these are the challenges that I, that I, that I've talked about when I talk about like how much fun it is to jump around the cultures and teams. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's probably a, a, probably why we all love what we do is because of the, the different nature that we need to find and navigate and problem solve and find a way to get our message across and, and like right. and get the get the results. Going into the keen topic, which we'll just break it down into fun and pro, like you said in the in the first intro. You may have touched this on earlier with working with the eight to eighteen year olds, but at mm. what point in your career did you realize how important fun really is from a in a high performance environment? I I did touch on a little bit, but there's a let me give you an exam another example from those years that on Fridays, I think it was on Fridays, I'm a little fuzzy. It was like Fridays and Saturdays, instead of kind of the regular conditioning that we do at the end of those groups of you know, our young training groups, our little groups of six, we do a little conditioning at the end. And instead of that, like every Friday, we would play knockout. Have you ever heard of that? It's a basketball game where basically all six kids line up behind the free throw line. The first two kids have basketballs. The first kid is at the line and he gets to shoot the first free throw. Immediately after it leaves his hand, the second person is allowed to step up to the line and shoot it. And if the second person makes the ball in before the first person, that person is knocked out of the game. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, and you know, once you make it, you toss it to the next person in the line. It's this rapid, it's, it's just a cacophony of noise. Kids are going crazy. They freaking love it all week. The kids are just saying, can we play knockout instead of doing this? Can we play knockout instead? And can we play knockout? On and if you sit back and look at knockout, like there's a ton of good stuff happening. They're all panting like crazy. They are when, when a rebound goes, you know, awry, they have to make a reaction move. They have to go and get it. They have to, there's teamwork, not teamwork. They're all individual, but they're, you know, you're passing the ball off. There's a lot of great fundamental things to this with a, like, why is this something that we just treat them with on Fridays or Saturdays? Like, why can't we just spend a little bit of time thinking about all the, the really like boring masochistic ways that we do conditioning and just find ways that we, that are actually fun as well as, as really, really brutal. You know, it's the difference between a cone drill where you, you know, you have to, you have two cones five yards apart and you have to run and touch one and the other one you're doing it over and over again. Well, take one cone away and make that a balloon that you have to keep in the air, you know, and, and like, and you've just taken, you've just done the exact same drill, but you've made it something that they think is fun, at least initially until they feel like they're going to throw up when they have to do it 12 times. But, but it takes very little kind of brainstorming to be able to tweak a lot of exercises we've been doing for a long time to to make them something that the athletes like it's like when when people you know see that my athletes do some dancing sometimes like i for me i can't fathom that that i'm sure every one of the coaches that that is critical of something like that does agility ladder drills which i just how can you possibly think that those are different except one kind of sucks more than the other one like hey i was actually watching one of your videos the other week and if you look at physically what's being done like you know with no audio yeah the shapes and everything that's being hit in your from mobility point of view and quickness and you know, your accelerations and, and footwork is is being done which is yeah uh, it's it's really but they're uh, smiling and they're you know right you know, they're loving it there's a it's yeah i kind of push back at this kind of the myopic kind of view that that things have to be done the way that these best practices have always been done in strength and conditioning so i think it was that was kind of the where where these ideas would germinate is is when you would realize 
that but yeah you can make every you can you can put parts of friday knockout day into every day of the week you can take a harder look at all the stuff we're doing and see if there's a way that without compromising what the real goal of that drill is to tweak it to make it more engaging sometimes that's as yeah. simple as just having people partner up and cooperate right like the, the or, or you know and any number of, like i could go on and on but i think that's pretty much where it started and and then and then china like i said i you know i was a little bit of that yin and yang that that i really went out of my way to try to find to try to find ways to make things like conditioning and and then eventually warm up which used to be very rote and same thing every time for them something that was engaging and stimulating and you know i'm just anti-zombie i just don't want to see athletes sleepwalking through anything i do and i will stay up all night before a training session to make sure that doesn't happen and then you just end up building a big big ass library full of of kind of you know of warm-ups and calisthenic activities and, and thermogenic activities and conditioning work capacity activities that all have a little tweak to them that i think is the secret sauce to make it fun yeah and going back to the china experience like i can only imagine it would have been quite a contrast experience for those athletes on the way you're explaining it did it take a little while once you got buy-in from the coaches and everything and you got to do what you what exactly what you wanted to do and it was 100 percent your program did it take a while for the athletes to actually let go of the seriousness of everything and, and appreciate having fun or it's a great sort of just come actually it's a great question and actually the chinese the athletes are the easiest they are all little kids i mean they are i can say this because none of them will listen to this podcast but they're all in this kind of arrested development a little bit you know they've been in chinese sports schools since they were very small and they you know have a very sheltered life and they're the type of deprived from playing yeah. <laughs> like but, all of my 20 year old you know, gold medalists travel with teddy bears, like multiple teddy bears, right? Mm. And candy and sweets. Like if you looked into their backpack, you would think that they were eight-year-olds. And, yeah. you know, yeah, they're, they're used to, you know, coaches have to take away their phones at night, you know, in hotel rooms. Like it's, so they, if I'm, if I'm proposing something fun, they're the, they are the easiest sell. It's when yeah. you get to the Netherlands and, and Germany that, that you will occasionally, and fortunately this is, this is the exception of the rule, but on every team, there's, you know, one or two that are either too cool for school, at least a little bit, like maybe the best player on the team doesn't, to do this, you have to have a certain amount of vulnerability. You have to be willing to look like a fool. Like I'm, yeah. uh, much of what I'm going to do is push athletes to the messy outer edges of their athleticism. It's fun, but fun for me is also how far can I push the coordination of this exercise until you're all failing and hopefully laughing while you fail. You know, it, you haven't hula hooped in a while. You haven't thrown a frisbee in a while. You haven't hacky sacked in a long time. I'm not going to do it enough that you get good at it. I'm going to do it so. I'm going to do it just enough that that uh, you have to struggle. And I love seeing the struggle. And and you know, you're a great volleyball player. Can you be a good volleyball player while you're also keeping a balloon afloat? With you know, can you be a good volleyball player when your right eye has an eye patch over it? Can you do it all just with your left hand? So I'm going to make you, you know, and, and, and fortunately, this is not just, you know, philosophy of red. This is, this is very well-established, like differential learning, constraints-led yeah. approaches to training yep. that science is backing this up. But, you know, as you, if you're talking about challenges that coaches could have getting into this, it's going to be getting buy-in from some athletes yeah. that, that don't want to look silly dancing, you know, even though that that's just a thermogenic with a little bit of you know, hand, eye, foot, eye coordination, foot, brain coordination. Um, but, but yeah, you, that, that is a real challenge sometimes too. And you have to, you know, you have, so some people it's, it's spitting out big words like differential learning and talking to them about how I'm going to just put so much noise into your, into the system, so many perturbations into this system that what I'm trying to do is boost a signal out of it. I'm trying to build your library of, of, of techniques and of movements so when you are in competition a bunch of things maybe come to you that wouldn't have already come to you that you have that all this variability in this warm-up is just creating hopefully a more adaptable athlete when we go to war mm -hmm. and so maybe they have to hear that an education pace yeah, maybe you have to educate them you know and and especially early on when i'm doing something a little bit crazy that's a big speech that i'll give with coach so coaches can hear like they also 
need to know that there's some brains behind this as well. That this like not in the science. Yeah. Me doing it to entertain myself. Exactly. And yeah, that was actually going to be a follow-up question with, with the athletes and that perhaps they might even be the leaders and the, and the star players that have a big influence on the group that are closed-minded and not open to it early. But I think you explained that process really well with how you tie it back to game performance and how they're going to have yeah, a bigger library of movement competency. So yeah, that answered that aspect. In terms of like um, the, keeping the main thing the thing, like you touched on that a little bit earlier, that you know it's not like you're throwing all the strength and conditioning principles and methods out, you're still doing those and then you're, you're just adding your flavor to it to keep it interesting for the athletes. For those coaches that are still in that mode where um, it, it is starting to get a bit dry, they're noticing their athletes, it's a long competitive season, they're starting to lose that motivation or engagement, perhaps in warm-ups and things. When you're starting to adopt this style, what are some common mistakes that you've noticed or perhaps you made early in your career You know, in terms of integrating this philosophy into your strength and conditioning? Yeah, you know, you have to, as I kind of alluded before, you have to earn the right to be able to do this. You know, you have to, fortunately, like I said, like now everyone knows what to expect is, you know, lucky that my Chinese team was so successful that now like, not many people push back. But for a new coach, you, you, I mean, you have to understand why you're doing, you have to, if you're going to have a, you know, a hacky sack, if you're going to be doing a hacky sacking, like group hacky sack competition, You've got to mention the word that this is helping hip mobility, that this looks silly and fun, but the mm-hmm. fact that I'm not letting you, that I've just, after round one, I no longer let you hit it off of your shoelaces. You have to do, you know, external and internal rotation to hit. Well, that's because I've tweaked this, you know, I've put another constraint on this game so that it hits the internal and external rotation of your hip that actually my physical therapist is very, very concerned about on our team. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's, it's just peppering them with a, with more of the why to justify the the fun craziness. You know, it's it's a little bit of of that. That's definitely one of those stakes. Making you know, and if stuff is too easy, you know, it it's really easy to just or it is a mistake to just kind of take every single childhood game. You know, like do do you guys have Duck Duck Goose over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, around the world. Yep. Okay, so Duck Duck Goose, you know, staple children's game, and yeah, there's a lot of curvilinear running i guess but just for two people while a bunch of people are sitting and it's up to you know it's up to people who gets picked and it could just be that everyone picks the slow three girls over and over again like mm. that's a terrible game like i would never do that with my team it like it might make for a good youtube video but it our instagram video but it wouldn't actually be successful unless i put a ton of constraints on it and i may you know i have to really sit down and think about how i can make duck duck, duck goose a game that didn't have a bunch of people sitting around bored, either wanting to get picked or not wanting to get picked. So you really need to take a hard look at every game that you would choose to do, because I get a ton of inspiration from, you know, we call physical education teachers from, you know, elementary school camp counselors, people like that, as well as the folks that are doing a bunch with constraints, led approaches and, and differential learning. But you need to take a a look at, at whether or not, you know, rock, paper, scissors, can be modified to be a good thermogenic, you know, warm-up game or conditioning at the end. And so you you need to take the time to do that. And and or just make sure that if you're going to have something that is just pure fun and silliness, that it is superset with something that's a grind. You know, so mm-hmm. there it's not. I don't want anyone listening to think that if you're doing a rep warm-up, it's just like oh oh we're learning to juggle over there, and then it's a hula hoop braces over there, and then we're we're just seeing who can couldn't bat a, a balloon off their head the longest in that third group no it's it's generally there, there's something fun happening in one of my in, in one little part of a circuit maybe but but i I've, my physios are going to kill me if i don't get a bunch of isos done early in the season so I've, you know there's girls sitting in an isometric lunch now of course me being me i'm going to find every way i can to make sitting in an iso lunch interesting competitive fun so i can only make an iso lunch so and so yeah, you have to have that balance is the long-winded answer to this is that if you're going to be fun you've got to have to be able to balance out with with some actual some real work getting done yeah and i appreciate it Th- thanks for explaining that and giving context into different scenarios and how you can apply it last question because you've answered there in terms of where, where you get your ideas from how you lean on pe teachers and physical education teachers yeah and, and jack and, I, and- I should say also i'm sorry to cut you off but I'd be yeah. remiss if I didn't say I get most of my ideas by watching practice because I'm just sitting there watching the head coach. I'm like, oh, look at that drill. Okay. So in that drill, the girls have to, you know, like 
oh, the girls have to, let's say, get get deep on defense or something like that. All right. And the coach is yelling at them about their butts being too high on defense. And, I, and I'm like, brain turning. Okay. Tomorrow in warm up. What can I do? All right. I make everybody touch the floor. I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to make some of warm up look like volleyball practice. I'm going to do this exact same drill, except I'm going to tweak it and I think make it even better. I'm going to put weight vests on everybody and I'm going to have everybody have to touch the floor before they dig the ball and then touch the floor after. That will be the constraint of the game. And and my hope is that the next day, like I am just mimicking, I'm parroting everything that the head coach was saying the day before. I'm asking the coaches to come over and help me tech to help me do the technique on it because it's still just for me it's a thermogenic, but it's also ticking a box of doing exactly what the head coach has been working on in practice. Yeah. Yeah. The girls like it because of volleyball's involved, right? It's a little bit gnarly because, you know, they're wearing weight vests or or, you know, they have to, after they pass the ball, they have to, you know, r- roll a medicine ball from between their legs, something that gets their butt low. And I've just created a constraint that's solving a problem that my team has. So I get a ton of ideas just by watching practice and thinking about, all right, all the tools in my toolbox, how can I possibly accomplish what he's looking for in a different way from a kind of SNC slant? You know, the physical side and the athlete's enjoyment side, now it's the tactical, technical side, bringing the coaches along for the journey yeah. too, and, get, and getting them involved, which is which is great. So um, last question, what about when you're working with male individuals or male teams compared to female? Is there a difference for fun and engagement? Can you use the same games? Is it different coaching cues? Talk us through your process there. Real, this is this is tricky because I would say, you know, from like from a youth ant like standpoint, definitely big differences, you know, when you're training young, you know, there's there's the boys being a little bit more aggressive when they're younger, you know, when puberty hits and they're like peacocking constantly and they want to show off and the women sometimes being more reticent in the puberty ages, but the girls being badasses when they're younger. At the elite levels, they're both hyper-competitive. So I would say that at the non-elite levels and the younger levels, that's, that the boys tend to be, in my experience, tend to be more competitive. And like, you know, don't mind, you know, they hate losing, but like, don't mind something where somebody's going to lose. Whereas sometimes I've made the mistake of, of creating too many competitions for women's you know, younger women's groups and you can just tell everyone except for one person is miserable that you know and they just want to they, they would much rather be working in teams than as individuals and so i think that's kind of a difference at the lower levels at the elite levels my you know the the girls on my teams would cut each other's throat to win a stupid game of like balloon volleyball like they're ridiculously competitive so yeah i think i i don't the better the athletes get, the less of a big difference I see. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, thank you so much on shedding light on on that process. You can tell it's something that you're passionate about and, and clearly an expert in as well. So I really appreciate you sharing your, your experiences and knowledge in, in that area. Last few questions from a personal point of view, mate. What's your pet peeves? What makes you angry from an industry point of view or or even yeah, uh, working on your craft? Get your pen and paper ready. I'm about to put individuals on blast. Name, naming names. No. <laughs> Name and shame. Oh, man. No one's asked me this question before, and I'm so happy you did. All right. So I have a here's a pet peeve. As somebody that has to go into weight rooms across the world all the time, of course, a messy weight room is, is awful, but I worked in China. Every weight room is awful and messy, so I kind of got over that. Here's my latest pet peeve is when you go into elite training center and the 20 kilo and 25 kilo plates are on the bottom of the stack. When... When the heaviest on a rack is set up just in number order so that the super lightweights are at the top and the heaviest weights are at the very bottom, it always strikes me as a place where no one's ever gotten super strong. Like those 25s are just dusty. Like, come on. Yeah. You have to put the heaviest plates at chest level. Like, it's just stupid. I hate it. <laughs> it drives me crazy. And if, and if, and if I had to come up with a punishment for someone, it would be going into a strange weight room and having to and rearranging their weights to something acceptable to me. But on a on a team stand in my team, I think everyone in my on the teams I've worked for would know that I get just horribly sarcastic, and which is a, a really crappy way that I show my annoyance when I have someone who never knows the sets and reps. You know, when where I'm like, okay, everybody. On this day, this exercise, we don't usually do eights, but I want everybody doing three sets of eight on this exercise. And I'm just waiting. I go to the next exercise and somebody's like, hey, back on that one, what are the sets and reps? Like, 
There's always <laughs> one girl. There's one or two on every team that are always. And I end up having to mo- I put them in charge of sets and reps. Like I'm like, I, I say it once. I'm like, hey, I got to shit. Any yeah. questions, Tatiana is the one that knows all the sets and reps. So don't ask me, ask her. Like, I'm super, super uh, annoys the shit out of me anyway. <laughs> oh, fat. There's always one, so we'll have to steal that one and, and put that to practice. That's a, that's a big thing. <laughs> what about favorite way to spend your day off? I feel a lot of social pressure to talk about my my three-year-old daughter. Oh, God. But let's see. If, ah, boy, I would, you know, I just got finished playing beach volleyball with my buddies this morning, actually yesterday morning, and there's no way I'd rather start a day than with a bunch of guys that I can just talk smack with while we play old man terrible beach volleyball for a couple hours and then and then I'm I love a good brewery you know I like to a good to sit down telling stories that that's kind of my favorite it's my favorite stuff but of course I got a cute three-year-old that that it also takes a lot of my heart away so that's a that's a good one too well said and what about what's on the horizon for 2023 early or late March going into early April at this time of year what's what are you excited about at the moment well, Jack, we are we are writing the beginning of the big underdog story to make the Olympics in Paris next year. So, you know, we are currently sitting about 13th in the world, the German women's volleyball team, sitting about, about 13th ranked in the world, and pretty much the top 10 get a ticket in. So we've got to knock off some teams, and, and this is the first year that is an Olympic qualifying year. So we have... <clears throat> the big World Cup coming up and we need to, you know, we need to upset some people and get some points and knock off some. So we're in the hunt. So it's going to be a big year for hunting. We have some countries too. I get to, we get to, I haven't been to Korea before. I'm going to Israel this in a couple of weeks. So I got a lot of, I got to stamp that passport a couple of times in a couple of different places that I haven't before. So I'm excited about that too. Yeah, fantastic. And for those that have got any follow-up questions, where's the best place to get in contact, mate? Is it socials or... Yeah, yeah. I think uh, on on Instagram, I'm Retosaurus. So it's uh, I guess I have a link in the show notes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And that's where you know during during the off season, I'm kind of go a little bit silent, where I like, enjoy my family time. Off season being the winter, but come about the about a month from now or less than that, I'm gonna start amping it up again. And I, that's where I post tons of examples of what I do in the warm ups in the weight room to gamify and create energy and athletes that are having a good time in in, uh, in those environments. So if, if people are interested in getting some real world, some real examples other than the ones I kind of came up with off the top of my head here, that's yeah. what still. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been following your page and yeah, for anyone that's listening to the podcast, you'll absolutely have to take up that offer. So add, you might be listening while driving. So absolutely click the link in the show notes when you're finished parking the car and uh, yeah, you won't regret it. There's some great actionable straight away talk, you know, basically visualize what we've what we've done and, and put it straight into practice. So th- yeah, thanks for posting that content as well on behalf of the the coaches looking to put your work to practice. Well, thank you, mate, again for, for your time. And yeah, really look forward to publishing this podcast. We'll release it next Wednesday. So for those that have tuned in halfway through live, you can watch this on YouTube from now till then. And uh, our next interviews with James Hanich, they'll be Friday the April 7th at 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Time. So I'll see you guys then. Thanks again, everyone. We know, Jack, when you post this, I'm going to be heading to the airport to uh, fly over to Australia. I'm going to be there for a couple of weeks doing some oh, no presentations way. and workshops. Yeah, for AIS in Victoria. and Next week? Sydney. Yeah, yeah right. out the 10th. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so I'll be, I'll be going, coming your uh, Good timing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Aussies, hit him up. <laughs> Thank If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but 
that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah it certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose... One thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single minded back then and um, you know I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.